us will be in our series, One Another. And so if you need a lesson, Brother Tim is back, no, Brother Steve is back there. 32. Yeah, go, 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 go. I can't handle all the confusion. Okay. Okay, you got it. Oh, suits, got it. I was like, who's bruised? Uh, what was I saying? Okay, so we are still in lesson nine. So if you have last week's lesson, uh, you can take that out. If you need a lesson, raise your hand. Brother Steve will be glad to get you one. And um, probably need one more up here, Brother Steve, if, if we have it. And then um, also if you need a pen, uh, if you would lift your hand now, it would be good. All right, you will need a pen this morning if you don't have one. Okay, while well, they are uh, getting that all figured out, let's take our Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would, please. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at this here. Oops. 1 Peter chapter 3. And whenever you find your place there, if you wouldn't mind to stand as we read our passage this morning. <clears throat> Starting our reading in verse 8, just, just a couple more seconds to get there. First Peter 3, oh, I'm in Second Peter, and we'll be in verse number 8. There, say amen. Three of us are there. The rest of us, find your place. Verse 8. Finally, be all of one mind. Can you say those next, that phrase there with me? Having compassion one of another. That is our, our lesson today, compassion for one another. We'll talk about how that works this morning. It says, Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. In his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them who do evil. That do evil. And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's really the key to this whole thing. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So we'll pray. We'll get right into our lesson. And again, this is lesson, part two of lesson nine, compassion one for another. Let's pray. We'll get into it. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our church family. Thank you just for the love that's here. And, and God, I'm thankful as a pastor that a, a lesson like this really feels more just like a, uh, not, not really a corrective thing, but a maintenance thing and to continue doing what we're doing. And we can always, of course, improve in these things. But I pray to help us as we learn what it is to be compassionate and to care one for another. I pray to help me as I explain this and I pray to help us to take it and use it and Lord glorify you through our life. We love you. Christ in my pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you again for standing. <clears throat> so we started last week and we didn't get very far. We let out a little early because it was friend day. I wanted to give you plenty of time. Uh, just to let you know up front, there's a good chance that this is a three-parter, okay? But uh, it's worth our time, worth our study. And as we look at compassion, uh, compassion is to 
to, to, ha- uh, to look on the needs of others, to get off of our own needs and look on the needs of others. I'll go back and read the, the uh, actual um, definition that we get in our lesson. Here's how he put it. Your hurt in my heart. It's been defined that way. Your hurt in my heart. So what we, when we have compassion on someone, what we're doing is we're noticing, noticing the, the struggles of others, noticing the hurts of others. It really is <coughs> tied to um, a negative feeling of somebody else, okay? When you have compassion, here's what you've noticed. Somebody else is struggling, right? That's compassion. When, when Jesus uh, saw the, the man with leprosy, he had compassion, right? Because he saw the struggle of that man. When Jesus was looking on humanity, what did it say? He saw them as sheep with no shepherd, just wandering around. They don't even realize they need him. That's an awesome story, by the way. Uh, just not to take too much time, but Jesus had just had a super long day. It was like event after event after event. He healed this person. He taught these people. He went and healed this person. Then he answered these questions. And for all day, he's been, he's been interrupted. It says in that passage, and while he was speaking, this happened. And once he finished, that happened. And he was ministering and ministering to all these people who were coming to him. And then at the end of that day of ministry, he lifts up his eyes and he sees the sea of humanity that doesn't even know they need him. And, and, you know, sometimes we can get so caught up in ministry and almost overwhelmed by how many people we're helping that we forget there is a whole sea of people out here that don't even realize it, that they have a need. They have a need. And, Jesus, and the Bible says when he saw them, he had compassion on them. And because he knows that without him, they're struggling, right? Without Christ, we have no hope. And, and what's almost worse than that. Uh, you know, is that they, most of our world doesn't even realize they have no hope. I think in their heart they know it, but they don't know why. And they don't know how to fix it. And we ought to have compassion on, on the world the way Jesus did. But um, in our passage, we're really focusing on compassion one toward another. And again, we've said this multiple times, but in your Bible, especially in the New Testament, as you see that phrase, one another, we have to remember that the New Testament is written primarily to churches, Right? None of really none of the letters that we have, none of the books of the New Testament, or really the whole Bible, none of it is written directly to lost people. That's not the primary audience. The Bible is written to saved people. And then what does it do? Well, it tells us how to reach lost people, right? It's, it helps lost people, that's for sure. But primarily, these were letters written to churches and intended to be read in front of churches. And so when you see one another then what you know is it's talking about church family. And by the way, that's another reason why we know that God's plan is the local church. Because every, every letter in the New Testament is written and, and intended to be read in front of local churches. In fact, we're in Revelation in the beginning. I only got to the, half, the first half of the first verse. Uh, but in the second half of the first verse, uh, and maybe into the second, it talks about how blessed is he that readeth, he that readeth, and they that hear. And technically speaking, what John is saying is, he's blessed is the one, he, the one, who reads this letter of Revelation to the church body, and blessed are they that hear it. And that's the point. And that's every, every, uh, every letter in the New Testament is that way. And so, anyway, <clears throat> when we see that in our passage, verse 8, having compassion one of another, we're thinking specifically this morning about compassion on each other. And we ought to have compassion on the lost. 
but we need to have compassion one for another. And the way that works in a church family is we, we looked in our notes. I'll, I'll go through them quick and give you the blanks, and, and that will also help us review uh, the realm of compassion, the realm of compassion. And again, uh, that, that's mean, that means, that's a fancy word, I think alliterating, so use realm, but, but it's uh, people, who should we have compassion on? And we should have compassion on all, but in our passage, we're thinking specifically of our church family. And, and if we're going to have compassion one for another, then we're going to first need to be unified. And that's the first uh, uh, blank there, letter A, I mean, uh, a unified mindset. We, it's going to be hard, listen, it's going to be hard to care about your, your brother or sister in Christ if you're mad at them, right? Because when you don't agree with somebody, if you're mad at them, if you've got conflict, it makes it hard to care if they're going through something because that's our flesh, isn't it? And we need to get over that. And if, we're, if we do have conflict, because conflict will come, what matters is what we do when conflict comes. And when, we're, when we have conflict with another brother in our, in our church family especially, we need to do what we can to make that right and to be unified because we can't afford that. We can't afford fights and bickering. Um, I'll just tell you right now, a brother Park mentioned it while he was here, but the person you're probably going to be mad at more than anybody is me because I talk a lot up here in front of everybody. And, you know, I'm going to say some things. And, it, and when you, with much speaking, sin abounds. I think that's what, I don't remember the exact wording, but that's somewhere in Proverbs or somewhere. But when you talk a lot, there's a lot of, there is a lot of opportunity for offense and conflict. And I, in my heart, I hope you know that, I never intend to hurt anybody unless we just need it. I hurt myself, you know, the, the conviction of the Word of God, but I'm not intending to, to make conflict. But but there's going to be times where you're not going to agree with something I said. There's going to be times where you're not going to appreciate the way I said it. There's going to be times where uh, it feels like I'm neglecting you. Things like this are going to happen. I, I, I can't lose sleep over that. I'm going to do my best to, to minimize those, but I'm a man, and that's going to happen. What matters is what happens after that, that you need to come and talk to me about it. And I'll do my part. I want to be as approachable as possible, because what we can't afford is for the flock and the, and the under-shepherd to be at odds. The church can't handle that. Uh, we, need to be, we need to be good. And so if there's ever, I want you to know this, I will never like, blow you out of the water if you come tell me something you've noticed. I, in fact, I need that. I'm a man. The Bible says a wise man will thank you if you abuse them. And I'd be glad for you to come and tell me what, what you've noticed and, in a humble spirit uh, because we need to be right. But you all need to be right with each other. And we're all going to hurt each other along the way because we're sinful. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians that offenses must come. Um, but we need to deal with those properly and be unified. And so we need to seek peace that way. Um, also, uh, we need to be unified around the doctrines of the Word of God. We, we need to be of one mind uh, in this. We need to be, our fellowship needs to be based in the truths of the Word of God. Right? We need to agree. And again, I said it last week, but that's why we have discipleship class right now. Part of it. Because I want, we want to make sure everyone in this church family is of one mind doctrinally, we fellowship over what the Bible says. We don't fellowship over personalities or age groups or anything like that. We all have something deeper than that, and that's the truth of the Word of God. And so we need to be unified, and, and um, compassion really isn't possible unless we're seeking unity. Okay. The next is loving mindset. That's letter B, a loving mindset. <clears throat> a loving mindset. That's what he says here in our, in our passage. He says in verse 8, Finally, be ye of all one mind, so unified, having compassion one of another, and then love as brethren. 
And then he really, I believe, explains that, be pitiful, be courteous. Be pitiful, be courteous. And what that means is we need to be, we need to be noticing the, the, um, the problems of, of one another. If we're going to be compassionate, we need to make it a point to notice each other, consider one another, be pitiful. Uh, we said last week that pitiful doesn't mean to be lame or weak or, you know, that's pitiful. We use that word. That's not what he means. It means to have pity on someone else. An inward affection that you've seen what someone's going through and it affects you, right? And then it causes you to act and, and be courteous. And courteous literally means to be kind. Uh, being kind, we said it in 1 Corinthians 13 when we went through that. Being kind literally means to, to be helpful, to do something helpful for somebody. And when we're being courteous, what we're doing is we're noticing what someone's going through, and then we do what we can to be a help to them. And we ought to come to church that way, right? We ought to come to church uh, ready to serve, ready to, to uh, be a blessing. Not, not coming to church to be served, but to serve. That's, that was the example Christ gave us, and that's how we ought to live. When I was in Arizona, the pastor of my home church, Brother Scott Nail, he was telling me this, and I don't know if I'll ever have, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'll be brave enough to do this, but he told me one Sunday morning, he got up and he had his Bible and he was he kind of tripped up the stairs on purpose, but he acted it really good and then dropped his papers everywhere and tried to pick them all up and, and he's looking through and he's like, okay, turn to Mark for no, no, Luke for no. Let me be honest with you. Here's what he said. I forgot I was preaching today. Like I thought Brother, Brother Brian was preaching. And we're just going to do something. And, and he was kidding the whole time. But then he said, you know, when I come to the pulpit, you kind of expect me to be prepared. This is a way better way to do this, by the way. I, I would not do all this stuff he did. But he said, you know, you expect the pastor to come and have put thought into what he's going to say and be prepared for church. And as a pastor, I expect you to be prepared to be at church. Now, you don't need to come with a sermon every Sunday, but you ought to be prepared to hear from God. You have to have your heart soft and ready. Uh, you know, uh, Jesus said that the seed is really not the problem most of the time. Well, it's never, you can give the wrong seed, okay? But, but the gospel seed, there's nothing wrong with that. The word of God, there's nothing wrong with that. It's always the soil of our heart that determines whether or not we grow, whether or not that seed grows, whether it's cultivated well. And, and we can't go in there and, and turn your heart. That's, that's business between you and God, but you need to be ready that way. You need to be ready to come and serve. You need to be ready. You need to be thinking that way. We need to be intentional and say, when I get to church, I want to be a blessing to somebody. But there's a lot of people who come to church and say, I want to be served. And you know what happens there? People aren't going to meet your expectations. You're going to be angry, and you're going to be bitter the whole day because people didn't serve you well. Well, if you're being the servant, it doesn't matter how people treat you. It matters how you treat others, right? And so we need to be prepared coming ready to be a servant, ready to be courteous and love people that way. Okay, and so that was number one. That's the realm of compassion. Number two, the reach of compassion, the reach. So how does this work? How, how ought to a Christian be involved in showing compassion this way? How is it, how is it demonstrated? Well, primarily, you, maybe you've noticed as I read, but it's verbally. That's the first blank. Um, I think that's letter A in, in your notes. Reach verbally. It has a lot to do with what we say as we have compassion one for another. Verses 9 through 11, let's just read it and you'll notice all of that. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing. So railing is 
is hurting someone with your words. But contrarywise, blessing, knowing that they're that they I'm sorry, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days will let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And so our words are powerful. What we say has a lot to do with, with what we're talking about and really what we talk about most of the time. Your words primarily are, are your biggest influence uh, as you live your life. And because of the power influence that our words have, we need to be thinking about that. We need to be mindful about how we use our words. When we speak kindly, we can encourage somebody. We can make their day. Someone's going through a hard time. You can, do, you can go a long way by speaking a kind word. Someone's, by the way, doing wrong, and they know it. A kind word can shake them out of their, out of their, their sin and, and convict them that way. So speaking kindly can go a long way, but when we speak unkindly, it can go a long way. And when we speak unkindly, we can hurt each other, and we can cause strife and division and, and fights in, our, in the church family. We just, can't, we just can't afford that. We've got too much at stake here. And so when we reach out, we can reach out with compassion verbally through the use of positive words. Verse 9 says, Instead of rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, we are to give a blessing. Now, I'll, I'll stop and say this. The word evil, this will help you in your, as you study the Bible, the word evil does not mean wicked. It doesn't mean that, primarily. Um, wicked, evil, evil goes a lot with wickedness, but evil and wickedness are not synonyms to each other. How do you know that? Well, because I think it's in Genesis where it says God brought evil upon the world. Does God bring wickedness ever? No. But he, does, he did, in Noah's day, bring destruction, didn't he? And evil means destruction. And wickedness always brings destruction. Okay? But so, so here, when we say rendering evil for evil, we're saying when someone destroys you, and railing, railing is specifically about our, with their words, when someone hurts you with their words, let's not hurt them back with our words. And I love that it says uh, in verse, oh, I didn't say when, but it, it, it is when, right? Because when someone hurts you with their words, because it will happen, you need to decide now before it happens that when someone hurts you with your words, you're not going to hurt them with your words. But instead, give them a blessing, right? It's the opposite of, of destruction. It's a help. Uh, it Actually, the word blessing comes from the word eulogy. I'm sorry, that's where we get the word eulogy. It comes from the Greek word eulogio. And so that's where we get the word eulogy. And we're like, what in the world is that all about? Well, um, it means praise, a good word, or a benediction. And so in a funeral, when, when, when a friend of that person gives a eulogy, what they're doing is they're speaking words of blessing. They're saying good things, aren't they, about this man. Usually at a funeral, we don't bring up all the dirt, right? That would be very awkward. At a funeral, usually what we do is we speak well of the deceased, right? And we say good things about them. And, and that's how we ought to be toward everyone. We ought not, our, our vocabulary should not be 90% complaining about all the problems that people have. If you, if you want to complain about everyone's problems, you can, all day, every day. You can go into any situation you're in, and you can find problems. And you know, some, some of us, we talk, and, and what we say all the time is, yeah, I went there, and man, I can't believe they did this, I can't believe they didn't do that, this and that, that's wrong, this wrong, they could have done that better. Okay, you can do that all day long. Because none of us, there's, you will never be in a situation where, where that person did everything right. 
And if you want to, you can find problems. If you're looking for them, you'll find them. And you'll, you'll be what we call a grouch, <laughs> right? And no one wants to be around a grouch. And also, but more important than that, God doesn't want us to be that way. <clears throat> he doesn't want us to focus on the problems of this world. He doesn't want us to speak to each other that way. We ought to focus on the blessing, on the good, and, and help each other that way. And, and that's especially hard when someone's being rude to you. And when someone is hurting you at their words, what we automatically do is find all the problems that person has. And you know, you know how I know this is true? Because, because uh, whenever we love someone, we kind of ignore problems sometimes, right? And how about, how about this? How about when you watch a football game, right? And when the referee is doing what you want, he's the best. Like he's got eyes like a hawk. He sees it all. Yeah, yeah, the other team did, you know, go off sides there. Or yeah, the other team did. Pass interference is the biggest one, right? Because it could be very subjective. And, you know, if it's your team, the referee's the man. You know, it, that it benefits your team. If it benefits the other team, you see every problem with that referee. You'll start bringing up dirt in his past. You'll do whatever you can to discredit this man who has, who has hurt your team. And that's how we are with people. And oftentimes, when we're, when we're blasting people, it's not really because they've done a lot more and worse than other people have done. It's because we've decided we don't like them. How about politics? Every single politician is a dirtbag. You know how I know? Because they're humans. And what we're very good at is, is praising our politicians as if they're like demigods. And the other politicians are all trying to kill America at all times. And it's not just our side, there's their side. And then what we do is we get mad at their side for talking that way about our side, and then we'll talk about their side the same way. Because that's what we do. And, and we, we kind of lie to ourselves in some ways. Uh, and, but here's what we do is when we love somebody, here's what, here's what I'm saying. When you love somebody, you focus on the good in that person, not the bad. Okay? And so if you're finding yourself being critical often, it's not really their fault as much as it is your fault of having a critical spirit. Does that make sense? Okay. It's easy to have a critical spirit. All right. Anyway, that was, none of that was even in the notes. So. Proverbs 25.11, um, God wants us to, to use our words well. Proverbs 25.11 says this, A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. That's beautiful, right? A painting... Of, of apples, and, and, and he's even talking about using, it's almost like he's saying using gold paint and silver and beautiful colors to paint this. And, and so what he's saying is it's pleasant, it's good to look at, you, you enjoy it, and, and a word fitly spoken is that way. Our words matter. They, they affect each other. And fitly spoken, here's what fitly spoken means. It means the right words, said at the right way, and said at the right time. The right words, Said in the right way and at the right time. And when you do that, when you it's almost like a it's almost like a lock, you know those padlocks with the numbers? It's like when you get the right words in the right tone in the right way and in the right time, it like unlocks and it's a blessing to that person. Even if it's hard for them, even if it's something they don't want to hear, even if it's a, a rebuke, a rebuke be, can can be said in the right with the right words at the right time in the right way, and it can be a help to somebody. Yeah, and you get one of those three off and it just ruins everything. So perhaps you've said, you had someone say just the right word at the right time in the right way, and you probably know that that has made a difference in your life. Uh, there's a man named George Truitt. He's a well-known 
American uh, pastor of years ago. He pastored a First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas for decades. And they, he was hunting, and after he was, he was hunting, and he accidentally killed his best friend on the hunting trip. And he was devastated by that. He was heartbroken. According to his daughter, he never laughed after that day. You can imagine. Truett had a radio program, which he would close each day with these words. Be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time. And we need to be living that way. And you know, when someone's having a bad attitude or something, it could it maybe has nothing to do with you. Maybe they're just having a hard time. We need to learn to be good to everybody. Our words uh, should not only encourage others, but they should also bring peace in our relationships with one another. We read it in our in our passage to seek peace. Um, Romans twelve eighteen says, "If if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men." <clears throat> And you notice that phrase, it says, as much as lieth in you. So you need to pursue this. You need to do your best at this. You're not going to be able to accomplish peace at all times. But as much as you can, we need to accomplish peace. We need to live peaceably with all men. Living peaceably with everyone, it can be a hard thing to do. Um, again, because people cause problems in, in our life and in their life. People uh, uh, cause division between them and God, and you want to... You want to bring peace that way. And so <clears throat> living this way is difficult, but what we need to just do is what we can, right? And as much as be in us and, and make it to where we're not the reason there's not peace here, uh, but as much as we can live peaceably with all men. Romans 14, 19 says, Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. And so that phrase, follow after the things which make for peace, it suggests that peace is not going to come automatically. It's not natural. It's not the default. And if we're not intentional about this, if we don't follow after and take action, there's a good chance there's not going to be peace. We need to be intentional that way. And, and again, a big way that we accomplish that is through our words. When our, when our words, our speech is seasoned with positive words, we can bring peace in our relationships with one another. At least we can, we can push the ball that way and do what we can. Do what we can. And so reach verbally, no, a letter B is, no, did I say number B? Letter B is this, reach thoughtfully, reach thoughtfully. Sometimes it's not only our manner of speech that brings peace, but also the withholding of unkind words, right? So we can, we can bring peace and have compassion by saying the right words, <clears throat> but we can also bring peace and have compassion by not saying the wrong words. When we meet an angry or contentious person and they rail at us, our natural response is to rail back, to give it back to them. The Bible is very clear, though, when it says to repay, repay evil with blessing. Verse 9, we said it already, to not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrary-wise, blessing. And so to render, it literally means to deliver, to recompense, to repay. And so it's to, it's to pay back. They've done this to you, how are you going to respond? And so, and again, railing is, is reviling, slander, reproach, it's hurting with your words. And so, have you ever had anyone who spoke evil about you? I think all of us have. Um, they, they may not have even said it. They might have posted it. And we have, we have live in a world where we can speak evil about everybody at all times. And I can't tell you how many times 
on Facebook, you're scrolling through and you see funny stuff, you're like, ah, and then that, that's why you want to keep it, right? And you see like happy pictures of your family and you're like, oh, I love Facebook. But then it doesn't take long before it's like someone in here is, is blasting somebody else in front of everybody, you know? And small towns are bad for this. You can do this in Phoenix and most of the people that read that have no idea who you are, have no idea who they are. But if you're in Fall City and you're calling people out and blasting them over the whole world, you're wrong. I don't care what they did. You're wrong. I'm more disgusted with the one who posted that than with what that, that person did. That is, that is childish. It's slanderous. It's, it's not right. You're just doing that to hurt somebody else. It's not helpful. And we, we, ought to be, we ought to learn to be disgusted with that kind of behavior. And, and in ourselves and in others. There's no place for that. And so that happens a lot. We, we're hurt by other people's words. <clears throat> when that happens, we can respond with anger. We can respond with vengeance. We can respond hurtfully back. But Jesus told us to respond di- differently, didn't he? In Matthew 5.44, when he said, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And that, that sentiment, I mean, Peter was there when Jesus said that, and he's applying it straight to our words here, when he said, when someone is railing against you and saying evil against you, it does not then give you license to rail against them and, and verbally abuse them. No, actually, we're called to love our enemies and bless those who hurt us with their words. And when we respond in anger, all we do is cause more strife more strife. And honestly, again, it just really hurts your name even worse when you respond that way. And so as Christians, we need to, we need to restrain our speech and withhold the use of ungodly words, really no matter what situation we're in. We, have, we never have license to be unkind that way. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Here's what that means. Wrath is when someone is expressing their anger to you. And so this, the context of this verse is someone is hurting you with their words. Someone is blasting you with their words. And we need to answer them softly. Answer them softly. Now, this verse does not mean if you do that, they're going to stop being mad. That doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does. You know, here's what I will tell you. If you answer with a harsh word back, this is not going to get resolved. <laughs> right? And here's what I will tell you as well. As you use soft words, it will lessen the wrath, and it will turn it the other direction. Um, but grievous words stir up anger. And so they're mad at you, then you get mad at them, and now you're mad at each other, and you're yelling and screaming, and, and there, there's just no place for a Christian. Can I just say this? Just, let's all be the adult in the room. <clears throat> when everyone is screaming and yelling and being petty and all that, we just here's what we do. We just, we just keep loving them the way that we ought to love them and treating them the way Jesus tells us to treat them, and not get involved with all of that. And that'll, that'll say something. And as they're, as they're railing against you, and as they're saying these things against you, if you choose to have a good spirit through it and love them back, it will affect them. Uh, I think it's Peter who said it'll, it'll heap coals upon their head. Conviction will come, because they know they're not being nice. And they know what they want from you, by the way, is for you to yell back at them. But as they see you being composed and loving them genuinely back, it'll mean something to them and to those around. That's, this is the testimony we ought to have as Christians. And so the next time someone speaks evil of you, uh, try responding with, with kindness and compassion. It's not enough just to ignore it. We really need, we are, we are called 
to respond, to respond, and the way we respond is with kindness and compassion. Yeah, and oftentimes it will end the dispute, but not always. So here in our passage, Peter is warning against hurtful speech that is premeditated. Actually, that's this is the um, the context here. It's someone that on purpose is hurting you. It's not even like they were. They just said something off color on accident. That happens, but right here we're talking about premeditated um, anger and hurt toward you. And here's what he says. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. And so we need to stay far away from that kind of speech. Job's an example of a man who feared God, and because he feared God, he eschewed evil, right? And you might be wondering, how in the world can I keep from doing this? If someone has hurt me, we we say things like this to ourselves and to others, I just can't help it. Well, first of all, it's not true. God can help you overcome that. But but here's here's the, the way that you can do that. It's the way Job did. It's because he was a man, here's what it says in Job 1 at the end, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And it's in that order. If you fear God and love God enough, then that is the only way that you are going to eschew evil. And, and it really is, is paralleled here in our passage. Look at verse 15. We read it. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. You need to make God number one and separate Him and, and decide that you want to live a life that's glorifying to God and that it's all about Him and it's not about me at all. Right? We're servants of His. We're Servants literally means slaves. We're his slaves. Whatever God says goes. I want to glorify God with my life. I want God to be lifted up through everything I do. And if you're living that way, where it's not about you, it's about, about God anyways, as someone comes and hurts you, well, that doesn't really matter. Because it's not about me. Right? And, and, and you'll be thinking this way, how can I glorify God through this? And here's how I can do it, by not responding in kind. You see, that's really... Really, the, the key here. Despite his wife telling him, Job's wife told him to curse God and die. And his friends were falsely accusing him of secret sin. Job, I know you did something wrong to deserve all of that. And it was false accusations. None of it was true. The Bible says that he maintained focus on the Lord and he maintained a godly testimony. He struggled a couple times through it. But especially there in the beginning, um, he, he sinned not against the Lord. And so, when others falsely accuse you, others speak evil of you, when we restrain our words, here's what we'll do. We'll glorify God, and we will have an ability to show compassion to somebody else, even our enemy, even our enemy. I think we'll, we'll finish up here, and then we'll pick up next time. <clears throat> We've seen to whom compassion should reach and how we can exercise it. But now what we'll talk about next week is the reward. And there is, there is rewards to this. It will, it will benefit you. And, and as you have compassion on others, um, you know, you're, you're really going out to help them. But what you'll find as you, have, as you live a compassionate life is it'll help you more than you not, ever thought it could. And obviously we ought not to live that way. It's kind of a paradox, isn't it? Where Jesus said, him that will lose his life will keep it. And him that will keep his life will lose it. And, and it's funny, as, as we think less about ourselves, our life actually gets better. <laughs> you know? 
Um, whenever, whenever we set out to be a blessing to somebody else, if you live this way, if you say, you know what, I don't care what they say about me, I don't care what they've done to me, I don't care how they treat me, I am going to be a blessing to these people. When I come to church, I'm going to make it my goal to be a blessing to as many people as I can. And when you live that way, you will be a blessing to many. And a lot of people are going to be helped. But you'll be shocked by what a blessing it is for you to live that way. How many, how many of us love to be angry? I think we joke and say there's some people who like it, mostly because they continue to stir it up. And maybe in a, in a sense they thrive on it and they enjoy it in the sense where if we're, if we're railing and, and tearing other, people's down, other people down, it kind of lifts us up in our pride. But we don't like it. We don't like it. And, and by the way, if someone, I've said this before, but if someone is, is hurting you on purpose, well, then all you're doing is helping them when you stew on it. That's what they want anyway. Our life will be so much better if we just stop thinking about ourselves and, and learn to be a servant, having compassion on one another, loving one another that way. And it starts, it starts with a heart that says, you're hurt in my heart, right? It starts with a decision that says, I'm not just going to focus on my problems today, I'm going to focus on the problems of others. And then the way, it, the way it works after you've made that decision is you need to pay close attention to your words. That Make sure your words are a blessing, not a cursing. Because your words have an impact. Whether you realize it or not. The words you say, the way you say it, and when you say it impacts others. So let's be mindful of that, be intentional that way. <clears throat> and I know God will bless. Let's pray and we'll be done for, for this morning. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. And, and thank you that you've helped us this morning to learn how that we can be a blessing to each other. And God, we're thankful that you came, God, and became a man and came to this world not to be ministered unto, but to minister. And God, help us to have the mind of Christ this morning. Help us to be intentional that we're going to not come to be served, but to serve others. And Lord, included in that are those that have hurt us. Help us, Lord, in our heart to, to move past our own hurts. Even, even if someone specifically has hurt us, help us not to ignore them or, or even worse, give it back to them. But instead, contrary-wise, bless them, love them, and have compassion one for another. We love you. Christ in my pray. Amen. Amen. So we'll be dismissed.